welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and of course, movie fan views. This is a podcast from movie fans for you, the movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined by the Marlins hat-cladded Rob Dunham. My first Marlins hat. I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Excellent. So, great show coming up today. We will talk about Ryan Reynolds finally watching one of his own movies. We will talk about Movie Pass, maybe, maybe not, maybe. Uh, we're going to play a game called Higher or Lower. And of course, we will mention the Snyder Cut and uh, our watch list. Rob, you got any initial comments? Uh, I'm going to be like switching up my hats as we go, I think, for each segment. So. Okay. So, you know, I got four new hats today. I want to show them all off. All right. <laughs> so if you, I mean, if you're only listening to this on the audio version, you definitely want to check out the video version so you can see all four of my hats. Yes. This is what we call a tease in the business. <laughs> yes, we do have a YouTube channel where you can see us in person. Um, but this brings us to the great point of, hey, we'd love for you to share the podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast with us, we'd love to spread the love. Uh, so share the podcast with us. If you do, you too may have as many hats as Rob Dunham. And if you don't, I'll make you watch the Snyder Cut 18 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start off with the, let's start off with the fun story. Let's start off with the, the Ryan Reynolds story. So uh, Ryan Reynolds finally decided to sit down and watch his movie, The Green Lantern, last night. Apparently, he'd never watched it before. <laughs> and in fact, had only read the script parts for his lines. Um, which is fascinating to, to see. But then, of course, like he thankfully made a spectacle out of it and decided to live tweet as he was watching his own movie. Rob, what, uh, you're the one who brought this story to the attention. What, what, was your, what were your initial thoughts and reactions to this? So my first question is, like, was there not a movie premiere? <laughs> and know, right? if there was, was he like... Uh, incapacitated mentally in some form or fashion to not remember having watched his own movie at the movie premiere. You know they just show up for the party and then they just skip out. Once <laughs> the lights go down, it's just back to the bar, man. We're like, Ryan, we totally watched this movie at your premiere. Yeah, I don't remember any of that day. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if that was the case. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say that it's probably very truthful that he has not gone back and rewatched it, even if he watched it for the premiere. Um, I did appreciate that he was lighthearted and jovial about it, but also that he kind of stood up for it a little bit in saying that, uh, you know, it's not like an absolute travesty of film, that it's an okay movie. It's not great, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got to be interesting for him, especially, I think, with the way his Deadpool characterization has taken off. It's kind of erased all the bad feelings or taste from what happened with the Green Lantern because he's a phenomenon now in that role. So I, I think that if something along that line hadn't happened, it might have been a lot harder for him to go back and engage with that because 
even if you know he it's not high on his list of things he remembers from his career having a movie like that where you're the major star of a comic book series and having it not go well has to leave a bad taste in your mouth well and what's weird too is he's had three different superhero roles because mm-hmm. he was uh i'm blanking on the character in x-men he was um I'm blanking out, but he was a character. He was a character at the end of X Men. Um, he played Green Lantern and he played Deadpool. So, yeah, the character at the end of X Men was supposed to be Deadpool, but it's but yeah. a completely different version of Deadpool. Correct. Like correct. Uh, an alternate universe version of Deadpool yes. who didn't even have the ability to speak. <laughs> yeah. So not it's not anything like. Character. <laughs> yeah, not anything like what he is now because he sure does not have the inability to speak. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of cool because he's like one of his tweets was like oh boy tragic childhood flashback sequence killing a <laughs> beloved parent designed to instill a level of depth and hard-fought empathy for our hero he <laughs> perfected this move <laughs> <laughs> of course he had to also give a shout out to his wife blake lively who was also in the movie yeah yeah that's awesome <laughs> So Ryan Reynolds is a funny guy. And so this, this is just kind of a fun story. So um, it's just kind of hard to imagine a guy, you know, you know, not watching his own movie, but I don't know. I'm a person who I speak, you know, I speak regularly publicly and it gets recorded and it's painful to go back and watch myself. It is, it's just painful to do it. Um, and it's like, okay, that's what people are seeing on our live streams and on video. It's like, oh, it's just always hard to watch yourself. So maybe there's some it, of that in there. It's hard. For, I think it's hard for us to put ourselves in that place when it comes to a movie because we think like all the production and all the cost that goes into these things, surely they're proud of it. But I think they might have very much the same feelings. Like, why would I want to watch myself mm-hmm. doing something for an hour and a half that I spent hundreds of hours preparing and filming and rehearsing for yeah well and and two like we see the final product all the time and we rarely see anything other than the final product for the actors in these movies they never like the final product is is something they're so disconnected from they spend the vast majority of their time on things that are you know, little pieces of the script or things without post-production or any of that. And so it's an entire mystery as to what, what actually you're doing. So, yeah, but that's, that's funny. So check that out. You can visit Ryan Reynolds twiddle Twitter feed or we'll link to the story. (laughs) His twiddle, widow, twiddle feed. That's probably a better app name for it. Twiddle. (laughs) Cause it's much more relevant. I'm so bored. What can I do? I guess I'll send this tweet. Yeah. Why not? All right. So our next story, uh, Movie Pass, teasing a comeback. Hmm. I I am full of the skepticism. Yes. <laughs> so apparently, uh, it appeared on movie on a Movie Pass dot ventures website. Uh, there is a countdown for five days and at that point at the time of the story 18 hours which would bring brings us to basically monday morning the 22nd now this isn't technically on the moviepass.com website which still features the basically final letter from the former ceo of moviepass 
Uh, but this is interesting. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar, MoviePass was a service that debuted a number of years ago, which uh, pioneered the idea of you pay a monthly fee and then you can watch unlimited movies. And it's gone through a number of iterations over the years. Um, and the final one, um, basically the, the model changed when the company got bought out uh, a number, like in 2017, I think it was, where they started charging $9.99 per month. And then you could go to unlimited movies, which always seemed like a pipe dream. And you and I were both members. And it was a fun pipe dream for a few months. It was, it was always a question of when will this go under, not if. And so it was just kind of like hanging on to enjoy as much of the ride as we possibly could. Um, but it was something that absolutely changed the movie industry. It had so much success and brought so many people to the movies in different ways uh, that AMC, Cinemark, Regal all debuted their own subscription services. And uh, you and I are currently both members of the Regal subscription service. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> For whenever Regal actually decides that they want to start, you know, like doing their jobs again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but MoviePass was a fascinating industry. And so I, I am curious as to what this means. What are your thoughts? Uh, I don't see them being able to come back. I think that there is too much doubt and negativity around the name at this point, just because as you and I experienced the last three to four months of the service, there were so many changes and restrictions implemented in such a short amount of time without warning over and over again that um, it just became frustrating uh, to actually have the service because you didn't know if you'd actually be able to use it for anything. Yeah. Um, and they obviously can't sustain the model they did before. Um, I think that Regal and AMC benefit a little bit more from having one one because they're charging a slightly higher amount and people are paying it but also they're able to keep a lot more of revenue i think because of it being in their own in-house thing um one of the things that MoviePass was trying to do was get like a cut of concessions from the theater chains to be able to sustain itself and that was never going to happen yeah uh, so i i don't see a way back for that model as it was constructed. Um, and I think that without a doubt, like you said, they have to be credited with kind of launching a new paradigm when it comes to how we go to a movie and how much a movie ticket costs. But at the same time, I think they've been left behind at this point. Yeah. And I agree with you that I think the brand name is tainted. Um, it really did not end well. And it went, like you're saying, from frustrating to borderline to basically unethical. Um, uh, as there were reports, they were changing people's passwords so that they could not actually access their account and use it. Um, so that was some of the allegations towards the end. So it would be tough to see, but I am curious as to what's going to pop up on Monday morning. So I guess uh, I guess we'll wait and find out. Okay, and so our last story. Uh, for the news section of this is the uh, Motion Picture Association just put out its stats from 2020 when it came to the box office. And as you would expect, it is ugly, 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 ugly. With a capital U. Yeah. So the U.S. Canada, US Canada 
box office market was down 80% in 2020. And in some ways that almost seems good that it was only 80, <laughs> but 80%, it was down 80% in 2020. Um, now the slight upside on this is that they did do a better job of capitalizing on in-home entertainment, uh, which went up about 25 to 30%, depending on, on which of the numbers you're looking at. Um, but we all knew it was bad, but this, this kind of makes it in huge numbers. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. It's really, really bad. Yeah. Yeah. To go from the billion, the hundreds of billions of dollars that rang to what they did last year is something that, uh, I'm, I'm honestly surprised that more studios and productions and things haven't gone under mm -hmm. because of how things went. But, um, some people were very smart and capitalized on the internet and streaming market. And it certainly changed uh, the delivery method for some things, whether that's going to be permanent or something that goes away after time, I guess part of the uh, decision-making when it comes to that will be what theaters look like in a few months and people start coming back Yeah, and we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think the one thing you can say on this is I think that studios um, and the motion picture association in general has a little bit better idea of how to make money out of the home market a little bit better. And so what we may see is we may see a, a much more streamlined transition, but I think, I think the next few months are probably pretty critical for what the box office is going to look like for the rest of this year and whether or not we have two horribly down years or whether or not uh, the theaters come back with a vengeance and they're able to salvage most of 2021. So yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, numbers are bad. As Lost would say, the numbers are bad. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, did that's... we make four, eight, 15, 16, 23, $42 this year? Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> okay, this is not a TV show podcast. Why not? <laughs> I know, it's tough. It's tough not to bring TV up sometimes. All I have to say is that when it comes to the rundown of this particular episode of Film for Fans, we have to go back. We have to go back. <laughs> Still one of the most epic moments in television history, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, we're off the topic. Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, it's time to play a game, Rob. Are you ready to play a game? I'm ready. I need to change my hat, though. Okay. There we and go. it's Oakland Athletics circa 70s and 80s era looking hat. Yeah, it's got like that Pittsburgh Pirates old man hat vibe. Yeah. Kind of digging. Mm -hmm. The off-center logo is very unique to other hats I've seen, so. Yeah. Okay, so the game we are playing today is called Higher or Lower. So how this is going to work is uh, each of us have selected a series of movies and a specific dollar amount. So say, let's just give you an example. We'll say $100 million. And then hey, that's we'll my number. A, oh, hey. And then we'll have a list of films. And then we will have to say whether that movie made more or less than $100 million. And we are only talking about domestic box office. Domestic box office. Keeping track at home. 
Yes, domestic box office, not international box office or worldwide numbers. So these would just be domestic numbers. Um, all right, Rob, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Sure, I'll, I will. I will give clues first. Okay. So as you heard, my number is one hundred million dollars. Okay. And we will start. Uh, I guess I think this is the easiest one. We'll see. Um, Shutter Island, two thousand ten. I'm going to say higher. Correct. $128 million. Nice. All right. Next. Schindler's List, 1993. Hmm. Older movie, but I think, I think it had a good run. I'm going to say higher. It is $96.9 million. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Next. The Shawshank Redemption, 1994. It has to be higher, doesn't it? It has to be. You will never guess how much the Shawshank Redemption made. No, I will have no idea. $28.2 million. Seriously? Yeah. $28 million. Oh, my gosh. And that came out the year after Schindler's List. Wow. And it made almost $100 million, almost $70 million less. Jeez. And it only made $56 million total, including the worldwide box office. See, that that's one of those things where the box office does not always get it right with films. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. That's, wow, that's fascinating. Okay. All right. Rocky, 1978. Higher. Correct. Oh, 76, sorry. $117.2 million. Yeah. And consider the movie we just talked about came out 16 years after that 18 years after that sorry yeah that's wild to me yeah um, back when good movies actually won best picture the last one i have is one flew over the cuckoo's nest 1975 lower it made 108.9 million dollars seriously yeah that's the uh so i thought that the shawshank redemption and one flew over the cuckoo's nest were both the most confusing and the ones no I expected to have different answers. Yeah, the one floor of the cuckoo's nest actually made $163.3 million in total when you include the worldwide box office. Dude, that's insane. Which is over $100 million more than the Shawshank Redemption made 19 years later. Wow. So what, what did I get? I get three or I get two? Uh, you got Rocky and Shutter Island, correct? That's the only ones I got correct. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Although Schindler's list was pretty mean because it was literally then $3 million. I know, for real. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I would have predicted that that was the box office number for Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, it's wild. Okay. All I right. think it's just the long, the long drama. Yeah. That you either got into it or you didn't and it didn't become like this it was not a titanic level of people going nuts over it well and that's the thing like movies like titanic or even avatar aren't that great of movies it's just yeah. one of those you hit a cultural touchstone at the right moment so all right so you ready for your turn yep all right so mine have a theme the movies oh, i think have a theme and it, they are matthew mcconaughey movies all right all right all right all right all right all right <laughs> So I, I just recently finished up Matthew McConaughey's uh, memoir, Green Lights. 
So I felt in honor of Matthew McConaughey, all of these movies are Matthew McConaughey movies. And the number is $70 million. So did the movie go higher or lower than $70 million? All right. That's what I like about movies. The older I get, they stay the same age. <laughs> wow, you're just rolling in with the dazed and confused references. <laughs> <laughs> yep, okay. So, all right, first one up, The Lincoln Lawyer. What? Give me, give me a year if you got it. You Lincoln year was like I didn't put the year down. Lincoln okay. Lawyer, I think, was like 2013, 2014. I'll look it up here. I'm gonna guess higher. 2011 on the Lincoln Lawyer. Okay. All right, you guess higher. Yeah. All right, the answer is lower. It Boo. made 58 million dollars. Okay. So what do you got next? All right, the next one is Fool's Gold. 2008, Fool's Gold. That was like the exploring guy one, right? Yeah, you know, treasure hunting, Kate Hudson coast. I'm, I'm going to say higher because that was like a, a, a like summer movie. Yes, you are correct. It made... 70 million dollars and 200,000. <laughs> 70 million, 230. I thought 000. my clue was rough, man. <laughs> man, that's brutal. Yeah, that's either a bad beat or a good get. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> 70 million, a little slightly over 70 million. All right, your third one, the wedding planner. Wedding planner. I'm gonna say, uh, 2001, Jennifer Lopez co-star. Yeah, I was going to say Jennifer Lopez is in this as well. Um, I'm going to guess over. Lower. Ooh. $60 million. Oh, close. All right. Third or fourth one. Fourth one. U571, 2000. Mm, that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one. That is a very tricky one. Uh, war movie about submarines, a lot of cool explosions. But also like kind of obscure when it comes to actual stories. John I'm, I'm gonna, was in this movie, by the way. Yeah. I'm gonna guess above. You are correct. 77 million higher. Woo. All right. And your last one. We'll decide if we uh, tie or I win. Yeah. Sahara. Ooh, that's a summer movie, which, oh man. 2005. Penelope Cruz, Steve Zahn. That, that's a movie that was like supposed to be a giant blockbuster and i feel like it wasn't i'm gonna i'm gonna guess under you are correct 68 million wow <laughs> 68 million for sahara yeah man that, that was a rough game yeah <laughs> we should do it again so rob wins this one three to Indeed. two i do I like winning. All I do is win. <laughs> yeah. 
It was, what was fascinating is, you know, both in, in his reading his book and uh, looking at his box office scores is really outside with a few exceptions, the only movies he's done that's really made in like really decent money are his romantic comedies. Mm. And in the book, he talks about actually like taking a step away from them so that he could do other stuff. And he, you know, and the thing is, a lot of them are really good movies. Uh, for whatever reason, they just haven't been as successful in the box office. I mean, he could have given me an easy one with a $70 million and just said Interstellar, you know. <laughs> that was well, made yeah. slightly over $70 million. Yeah, we're not, you know, we didn't want to go that easy. <laughs> Actually, do you know what his top box office one is? So you're so, so what the way you frame that tells me it's not Interstellar. It is not Interstellar. Domestic box office. Is it, is, is it like how recent? Pretty recent. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's one of his more recent ones. But it is not one of his normal roles, if that's a clue. Was it Dallas Buyers Club? It was not. That actually didn't okay. make that much money. What was it? Sing. <laughs> that's cheating. Yeah. Because <laughs> he plays an animated qual in that. It doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> he is not a qual in real life. <laughs> All right, so that was fun. We'll have to we'll have to come back to that one at, at some other point. Uh, but yeah, you surprised me there with the Shawshank Redemption. That's yeah. Oh. I was surprised when I looked it up. All right, so our second discussion topic. Uh, we are recording this podcast on Thursday. You will receive it on Friday, uh, but. Today is the release of the Snyder Cut, Justice League, the Snyder Cut on HBO Max. Now, we've been talking about this off and on for a number of months now. Um, so now that it's actually here, Rob, what, what are your expectations? I mean, I've, I've been, I think, pretty straightforward and clear in my lack of expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I will watch it, but even today when I was on Reddit and I saw a little banner ad in the corner of the screen that said, watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, like my desire to like put it on was 0%. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that you and a couple other people are getting together to watch it this weekend, so I will attempt to watch it this weekend as well, even though I can't make that particular viewing. Um but yeah, I can't say that I'm super like I'm not hyped or stoked about it. And I guess there are people who are. I guess. I mean, enough. Fans a lot of people all wanted all. it, so I, I hope people that wanted it are excited about it. <laughs> I think this is a classic case of be careful what you wish for. Yeah. I mean, because fans really wanted it, and so you have an unfettered, unfiltered Zack Snyder who turns a mediocre movie, which. It's amazing how little credit he takes for the movie, considering how much of the movie he actually did before Joss Whedon came in and yeah. took over. Um, but he takes, he takes a mediocre movie and makes it twice as long. Um, so, yeah, I would say my expectations are not high. Um, will it be better? I hope so. But I'm not expecting it. This is what happens when you speak a meme into existence. Yeah. And I don't know if that should always be something you want to happen. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. 
But it will be interesting. I mean, this is this is this is a rare thing. I mean, you've seen movies get recut and director's cuts and things like this. You've never really seen a scenario like this where fans basically called for a different version of a movie that already existed and got it. So I think this has this has historical significance. Now, whether Zack Snyder turns around and ruins that opportunity for anyone else in the future, we shall see. Um, but who knows? Maybe he'll surprise us and it'll be good. Well, we're about to find out. We're about to find out. So along those lines, um, as Rob mentioned, uh, myself and, and some other compatriots who are movie fans will be hosting a watch party for the, uh, for the Snyder Cut. And afterwards, we're going to be doing a roundtable instant reaction, which we will be putting up on the podcast. You'll probably get to hear that on Sunday. So if you want to catch our instant reaction after watching that, uh, stay tuned to the podcast on Sunday for our I, initial thoughts. I hope it's not 10 minutes of just like copious and continuous vomiting sounds because that would be disappointing. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be fun for anybody. <laughs> All right, Rob, that's enough from the Snyder Cup for now. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more once we've viewed it. Uh, let's move on to our watch list. So these are movies that we've watched over the past week that we will give you a little bit of a rundown on what our thoughts were. So Rob, give us some movies you watched this past week. So uh, I watched a one pretty good movie, one okay movie, and one terrible movie. We'll start <laughs> with the terrible movie. Um, I had the extreme displeasure of being able to watch The Last Airbender for the first time. Oh, he did it. He did and, it. Uh, yeah, I only watched this because my daughter picked it because she wanted to watch it because she's been watching some of the cartoon or the anime, I should say. Mm -hmm. I should not call it a cartoon. I'll get punched. Um, when a movie can't even decide if the main character in the movie is called the Avatar or the Avatar mm -hmm. and different people pronounce it differently throughout the entire movie, it's probably a problem. And that's only one of the problems. <laughs> um, to call this movie not good is a gross misunderstatement. And I feel, I feel for M. Night with this because this was just an entirely different thing than anything that he had ever done. And he was taking over this huge project. And I remember watching the trailers and the trailers made this movie seem like this epic, like, this movie is going to be really good. And then it came out and it was not really good. Have you seen The Last Airbender? I have not. This is um, one of those, I'm not a big anime fan overall. And then when all the negative reviews came out about it, I was like, I didn't bother. I would say my biggest criticism of the movie is that it makes something that should feel extremely big, like the abilities that they have to control water, fire, air, and earth, and shrinks it down to a level where it almost seems insignificant. Hmm. Like, there's no giant action sequences of them using these powers. It's all really close combat. Like, a lot of really zoomed in. Even on the dialogue, there's... There's just, like, a lot of character acting, and the characters don't act well. And that's not a good combination. Okay. Um... The movie I saw that was okay was the new Tom and Jerry movie, mm. which is on HBO Max. Um, 
I would definitely recommend it if you have kids. If you like Tom and Jerry, the original version, uh, it is a fun movie. Um, it's certainly not a great movie, but it is fun. Um, has a decent story and the animation is better than I expected it to be based on the trailers. So it's worth a shot. It's not a great movie by any stretch, but it's not a terrible movie. And then the other one I saw was Raya and the Last Dragon, which I actually saw in IMAX, my first time back in the IMAX theater for a long time. I did not remember how loud the trailers at the beginning of an IMAX movie feel <laughs> when you have not been to an IMAX movie in a long time. And it's not so much just the loudness, it's the level of treble and lack of bass in the trailers. I don't know why it's only in the trailers. Hmm. but uh and the other thing about trailers is that they're built to grab your attention so they're built on like loud noises sudden shifts in dynamics and like let's put everything right up in your face so when you've got that in an imax situation for like a minute and a half straight you're almost like ah! <laughs> because when you're watching the actual movie there are breaks like there are pauses in the movie there's quiet parts it's not all loud and right in your face um, when it's all loud and right in your face, it kind of almost distorts and ruins the effect of what they're trying to do with the sound, because you need to have lows to experience the highs in an effective way. Like my kids were ready to head out after the trailers were over because <laughs> they were like, Walter was like this. <laughs> um, but we, we got into the movie and they were fine and they really liked the movie and it was fun to be able to be in an IMAX with. I think there were eight people total in the theater. Okay. So, doesn't seem very profitable, but hey, hey, I'm glad I was able to do it. Yeah. All right. So for me, I watched uh, I watched a number of movies. Um, I've been continuing on the line of uh, of like '90s action movies, um, and I watched In the Line of Fire. It's a Clint Eastwood movie with John Malkovich, where he is. Clint Eastwood plays a Secret Service agent who is uh, in charge of basically hunting down a man who's trying to kill the president. Uh, so it's a it's a really good character story, um, back and forth between these two men. It's kind of a mano a mano competition, uh, but it's it's a fun movie. It's a classic, uh, classic Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, pretty well done, and uh, there's good drama. And yeah, I, I liked it. Um, it's one that I've I've been a fan of for a while. I've seen a number of times, and it was it was well worth the watch. Uh, so that is, I, I, I'm thinking that's Amazon Prime. But so check that. Hmm, out. I haven't actually seen that, so I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it, yeah, it's good. It's worth it. Rene Russo's in there as well. Um, the second one I watched was one we mentioned earlier, Sahara. So uh, I really like Sahara. I think it's a really good movie. It's based on the Clive Cussler. Uh, series of the novel Sahara, uh, but it's Clive Cussler wrote a number of novels with the character Dirk Pitt. And so this was, uh, I think, an attempt to start a series where you potentially could make a number of Dirk Pitt novels, but it did not do well. You were right in that it was supposed to be a big summer blockbuster and just wasn't. And I don't really understand why, because I think it's actually a pretty good movie. Um, it involves Basically, uh, Dirk Pitt's character is uh, like an underwater, like a naval, former naval guy. Um, so it's an underwater salvage team. Um, they discover 
they're looking for a ironclad ship, basically a, a metal ship built in the Civil War off the coast of Africa in the desert. And so uh, they end up chasing that down along with uh, a conjoining storyline about uh, water being poisoned. And so it's, it's a good story. It's, it's a classic adventure story. It takes you a number of different countries, number, number of different scenarios. Um, you have your classic adventurer hero. Uh, so it's a good movie. I, I, th I think it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I have seen that one and I agree. I think it's really enjoyable and maybe just because of name recognition with some of the people it didn't take off as well as they were hoping it might. I've also read a few of uh, the Clive Kessler novels and uh, I got to say, my first reaction when I read the first one was, wow, there's a lot more swearing in this than in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, and of course, since yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, I watched the Boondock Saints. It's been a number of years since I watched it, and uh, <laughs> it never fails to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say, like, every time when it's been a while since I've seen it, I just, every time I'm just, like, blown away by how disturbing Willem Dafoe is. <laughs> uh, I have to share with you that my daughter is sitting next to me, and you may have seen me looking around the room, because, yeah, she, um, and she just said, she heard you talking about St. Patrick's Day and wants you to know that you look like a leprechaun, so. <laughs> well, I am Irish, and I have a red beard, so <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so and the last one i watched was uh i went back to um kind of the original guy richie lock stock and two smoking barrels mm. and i was it's been a, again it's been a while since i've seen it um the movie itself holds up but one thing that struck me is how dated the cinematography looks mm. um the choice of the cinematography like it uses a lot of um heavy shadow uh, filming. So in other words, you have something where you have a bright light on one side of the camp, on one side of the screen and big shadows on the back side as a result. So the light is constantly coming in from the side. There's also like a sepia type filter over the entire thing. And it just, it really, that, that, I mean, it was a lower budget film. And I think those, some of those tricks were designed to, it was just designed to give it more panache, but that kind of cinematography, I didn't think held up as well. But the story is still classically Guy Ritchie, uh, great ensemble cast. The cast, I mean, they were relative unknowns at the time, but a lot of them went on to do quite a lot of things. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie. And with, with a classic Guy Ritchie ending, so. Yeah, there's, um, I know that's the last movie you have on the list, so I just wanted to share something really quick that's related to this tangentially when we talk about how do we pick the movies that we watch? Why do we watch the movies that we watch? And I just found a really cool app through Reddit earlier today called Movie Night, Pick a Movie. And it's basically Tinder for movies. <laughs> so you can hook up uh, your phone with anyone else's phone that's near you. All you have to do is scan their QR code from their app after they start. And you can pick which movie services you are subscribed to. And it will put up movies and you swipe left or swipe right on them. And once you guys finally both pick uh, one movie that you both like, it comes up on both your screens. And that's the movie that you watch. 
So it's not so much like I like this movie or I don't like this movie. It's a, I want to watch this movie right now or I don't want to watch this movie right now. So if you're ever in a position with your boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or friend and you can't figure out which movie you want to watch, maybe give a movie night, pick a movie a shot because uh, because of that, I'm going to be watching Breakfast with Tiffany's later because my wife and I both picked that. Okay. So there we go. There you go. All right. So the last thing we've got, and we'll do this real quickly, is it is NCAA tournament time. As this podcast will debut on Friday, the NCAA tournament is about to moment. Yet again. Um, <laughs> and it'll be missed since we didn't have one last year. But we thought we what we'd do for our recommendations section this week is to give you a couple of basketball movies that you might want to check out. Uh, during the NCAA tournament. So Rob, go ahead and give your, uh, give your basketball movie recommendations. So the first one I have is obviously Space Jam. Uh, oh, yes. Because everybody get up, it's time to slam now. <laughs> you got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. It's your chance, do your dance. It's a Space Jam, all right, <laughs> et cetera. Um, I may have watched the movie about a billion times when I was a kid. Uh, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. There's not much yeah. else you can say. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that you could have a better athlete in that role. Sorry, LeBron. No, uh, no. Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny are the tag team. And uh, yeah, I, I love everything about that movie. The blending of animation and live action is very well done. I would put it up on the level of Who Framed Roger Rabbit probably is my two favorite movies that combine live action and animation. Um, and then the other one I recommend is completely different. And it's a documentary called Hoop Dreams. Uh, that came out in the uh, mid 90s, or yeah, mid 90s, I believe. Yeah, 1994. And it was actually inducted into the National Film Registry in 2005. We talked about that before, some of the movies that have been inducted into that. So it's in the same illustrious company as Shrek. Um, but Hoop Dreams uh, follows two young men from middle school through high school as they attempt to become professional basketball players from the Chicago area. And it's crazy to me how much is involved in the lives of these young men as they're growing up and how difficult it is, how cutthroat the world is. Um, I've also, there's a, there's a book called The Miracle of St. Anthony that also talks about this kind of thing. Bob Hurley's uh, St. Anthony team from New Jersey, one of the best high school basketball programs in the history of the United States. Um, but the, the level of dedication and effort they have to put in at that high level of basketball, when you set out to become a professional basketball player as a 12-year-old, it's a lot of work. And as evidenced by both of these guys, a lot of people who want to do it don't end up doing it. But it's not just a tragedy. It's a really great movie that shows you um, what it means to persevere and to follow something that you're passionate about. So I definitely recommend the movie Hoop Dreams. It had a budget of $700,000 and made $11.8 which I think speaks to the quality of it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, my recommendations are, uh, the first one is one that probably most people haven't seen. Uh, it was 1994 Kevin Bacon movie called The Air Up There. And Kevin Bacon plays a, a recruiter, a college recruiter, who sees like an amateur video of uh, a guy playing basketball in Africa and decides he's going to recruit this guy for his college team. And so he travels to Africa to attempt to recruit this guy who's never played any sort of uh, professional 
organized basketball at all. And so it's a kind of, it's, it's both a combination of a basketball story and, and like, as he's, he's finding himself as he's in Africa, interacting with the tribe people, but it's, it's a really good movie. Um, you should check out the air up there. The and is that, yeah. is that streaming anywhere? I don't know. I honestly, I didn't look okay. up to see if it was streaming anywhere. Um, I kind of doubt it because it kind of completely fell off the radar screen, but I'll, I'll check that out um, and see if it is. I remember watching that when I was much younger. And now that you're talking about it, I remember watching it. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so another one I picked was Coach Carter. Uh, and this is a, you know, Samuel L. Jackson plays a high school basketball coach. And um, he, he had controversy over the fact that he was really trying to get through to his team that academics were important. And when they failed him, he, he basically suspends the entire team and, and like cancels the season until they get their grades up. And so it's a story about, uh, you know, the dynamics of raising the expectations uh, and raising expectations and trying to get the most out of people. Um, most out of his students and, and trying to create them not so so much that just care about basketball that they're better people and they have better lives so that's a good one uh, and the last one I'll recommend is Finding Forrester which is is has a ton of basketball in it but is also a movie about writing um, it stars a, uh, a basketball phenom from the Bronx who gets involved in writing and is being taught writing by uh, Sean Connery. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Sean Connery, uh, but it's a great movie. It uh, involves a lot of basketball and that dynamics between basketball and your intellectual life. Um, those things play out a lot in some of these movies. And so, yeah, last one, Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester. Yes. <laughs> you also, the air, up there, the air up there is streaming on Hoopla, if you have that Ooh, library nice. streaming service. Yes. Hoopla. That means I'm watching that this week because it's been a long time since I've seen it. <laughs> nice. Awesome. All right. Well, we got to wrap this up. And thank you for tuning into the Film for Fans podcast. Make sure you rate, subscribe, check it out. Check out our YouTube channel and filmforfans.com. We have lots of great articles and recommendations for you. So until next time, enjoy the movies. If you're not listening to our podcast, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. Yeah.